That's the sound of our train. Do you have your ticket, Lorraine? I do, I have it right here. Wait, just one second. I want to take a picture. Okay, now I'm ready. All aboard! Hey, Mary, what's the date on your ticket say? September 9th, 1912, Montreal, Canada. Perfect, we're in the right spot. By September 30th, we'll be in California. Buffalo, New York, Niagara Falls. Abdul Baha stayed in Buffalo for two days, and while he was there, he took the trolley to Niagara Falls. This site, like many of the beautiful parks and majestic areas, reminded the master of his father. He mentioned while he was here that there were small waterfalls in Mazarduran, which Baha'u'llah liked so much that he used to camp near them for several days. All aboard, Chicago, Illinois, next stop. Abdu'l-Baha visited Chicago many times, but this time he invited Sagiro Fujita, the second Japanese to become a Baha'i, to join his party on their trip to California. This was just the beginning of Fujita's life of service to the Holy Family. In 1919, the master asked him to come serve at the Baha'i World Center in Haifa, and he remained there until his passing in 1976. Kenosha, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Omaha, Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska. Abdu'l-Baha's purpose for stopping in Nebraska was to visit William Jennings Bryan, the future U.S. Senator of the state. Brian had visited the master in the Holy Land, and he wished to repay the visit. However, Brian was campaigning for Woodrow Wilson and wasn't home, so Abdu'l-Baha visited instead with his wife and daughter. Denver, Colorado. Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Salt Lake City, Utah. We're almost there, Lorraine. Let's hear from Finney Paulson and her visit with Abdu'l-Baha in Salt Lake City. I traveled to Salt Lake from Missoula, Montana, upon hearing that Abdu'l-Baha would pass through that city. I arrived a day before and spent the night at the YWCA. It was an unimpressive place. The lighting was dim and the food was unappetizing. The next day, I went from train station to train station, trying to find where Abdu'l-Baha's party would arrive. Finally, at one station, I saw at the far end of the platform an oriental picture in an occidental setting, and was soon greeted by a powerful Allah Abha from the Master. 
an agricultural convention and state fair were being held in town, and this greatly interested the master. He went to various exhibits examining agricultural machinery and the wide variety of fruit. He praised American agricultural progress and asked the friends to send seeds to be planted at the shrine of Baha'u'llah. I was privileged enough to have an interview with the master in which his first words to me were, luxury and comfort are not the all-important things in this life, when I mentioned the dirty conditions at the YWCA. He also said that he was my father, which strongly affected me because I had never known my own father. He then gave me a locket-sized picture of himself as a father gives a treasure to one of his children. Last stop, California. You're listening to the Journey West podcast, dedicated to following the travels of Abdu'l-Bahá in the West. Let's go back now to a talk given in Minneapolis, read by Aaron. 20 September 1912, talk at home of Mr. Albert L. Hall. Praise be to God. This is a beautiful and radiant assemblage. It is a merciful gathering, for you have met here in the utmost love and spirituality. There are many meetings in the world, thousands of them perhaps being held at this very moment, mostly for social, political, scientific or commercial purposes. But our gathering here tonight is for God, for heavenly purposes. We are neither attached to commerce, nor is our interest scientific. Our spirit and motive are solely for the manifestation of divine bestowals. Man possesses two types of virtues. One is material and the other ideal in character. For example, the body of man expresses certain material virtues, but the spirit of man manifests virtues that are ideal. The sense of sight in man is a physical virtue, but insight, the power of inner perception, is ideal in its nature. The sense of hearing is a physical endowment, whereas memory in man is ideal. Among other human forces, the power of ideation or faculty of intellection is material, but the power of love is spiritual. The acquisition of the realities of phenomena is an ideal virtue. Likewise, the emotions of man and his ability to prove the existence of God. Realization of moral standards and the world of discovery involve virtues essentially ideal. If we review history, we will observe that human advancement has been greatest in the development of material virtues. Civilization is the sign and evidence of this progression. Throughout the world, material civilization has attained truly wonderful heights and degrees of efficiency. That is to say, 
the outward powers and virtues of man have greatly developed, but the inner and ideal virtues have been correspondingly delayed and neglected. It is now the time in the history of the world for us to strive and give an impetus to the advancement and development of inner forces. That is to say, we must arise to service in the world of morality, for human morals are in need of readjustment. We must also render service to the world of intellectuality in order that the minds of men may increase in power and become keener in perception, assisting the intellect of man to attain its supremacy so that the ideal virtues may appear. Before a step is taken in this direction, we must be able to prove divinity from the standpoint of reason so that no doubt or objection may remain for the rationalist. Afterward, we must be able to prove the existence of the bounty of God, that the divine bounty encompasses humanity and that it is transcendental. Furthermore, we must demonstrate that the spirit of man is immortal, that it is not subject of disintegration and that it comprises the virtues of humanity. Material virtues have attained great development, but ideal virtues have been left far behind. If you should ask a thousand persons, what are the proofs of the reality of divinity? Perhaps not one would be able to answer. If you should ask further, what proofs have you regarding the essence of God? How do you explain inspiration and revelation? What are the evidences of conscious intelligence beyond the material universe? Can you suggest a plan and method for the betterment of human moralities? Can you clearly define and differentiate the world of nature and the world of divinity? You would receive very little real knowledge and enlightenment upon these questions. This is due to the fact that development of the ideal virtues has been neglected. People speak of divinity, but the ideas and beliefs they have of divinity are in reality superstition. Divinity is the effulgence of the sun of reality, the manifestation of spiritual virtues and ideal powers. The intellectual proofs of divinity are based upon observation and evidence, which constitute decisive argument, logically proving the reality of divinity, the effulgence of mercy, the certainty of inspiration and immortality of the spirit. This is, in reality, the science of divinity. Divinity is not what is set forth in dogmas and sermons of the Church. Ordinarily, when the word divinity is mentioned, it is associated in the minds of the hearers with certain formulas and doctrines, whereas it essentially means the wisdom and knowledge of God, the effulgence of the Son of Truth, the revelation of reality and divine philosophy. Philosophies of two kinds, natural and divine. Natural philosophy seeks knowledge of physical verities and explains material phenomena, whereas divine philosophy deals with ideal verities and phenomena of the spirit. The field and scope of natural philosophy have been greatly enlarged and its accomplishments are most praiseworthy, for it has served humanity. But according to the evidence of present world conditions, divine philosophy, which has for its object the sublimation of human nature, spiritual advancement, 
heavenly guidance for the development of the human race, attainment to the breaths of the Holy Spirit, and knowledge of the verities of God has been outdistanced and neglected. Now is the time for us to make an effort and enable it to advance apace with the philosophy of material investigation so that awakening of the ideal virtues may progress equally with the unfoldment of the natural powers. In the same proportion that the body of man is developing, the spirit of man must be strengthened. And just as his outer perceptions have been quickened, his inner intellectual powers must be sensitized so that he need not rely wholly upon tradition and human precedent. In divine questions, we must not depend entirely upon the heritage of tradition and former human experience. Nay, rather, we must exercise reason, analyze and logically examine the facts presented so that confidence will be inspired and faith attained. Then, and then only, the reality of things will be revealed to us. The philosophers of Greece, such as Aristotle, Socrates, Plato and others, were devoted to the investigation of both natural and spiritual phenomena. In their schools of teaching, they discoursed upon the world of nature as well as the supernatural world. Today the philosophy and logic of Aristotle are known throughout the world, because they were interested in both natural and divine philosophy, furthering the development of the physical world of mankind as well as the intellectual, they rendered praiseworthy service to humanity. This was the reason of the triumph and survival of their teachings and principles. Man should continue both these lines of research and investigation so that all the human virtues, outer and inner, may become possible. The attainment of these virtues, both material and ideal, is conditioned upon intelligent investigation of reality, by which investigation the sublimity of man and his intellectual progress is accomplished. Forms must be set aside and renounced. Reality must be sought. We must discover for ourselves where and what reality is. In religious beliefs, nations and peoples today are imitators of ancestors and forefathers. If a man's father was a Christian, he himself is a Christian. A Buddhist is the son of a Buddhist, a Zoroastrian of a Zoroastrian. A Gentile or an idolater follows the religious footsteps of his father and ancestry. This is absolute imitation. The requirement in this day is that man must independently and impartially investigate every form of reality. The great question pertaining to humanity is religion. The first condition is that man must intelligently investigate its foundations. The second condition is that he must admit and acknowledge the oneness of world of humanity. By this means, the attainment of true fellowship among mankind is assured, and the alienation of races and individuals is prevented. All must be considered the servants of God. All must recognize God as the one kind protector and creator. In proportion to the acknowledgement of the oneness and solidarity of mankind, fellowship is possible, misunderstandings will be removed, and reality become apparent. Then will the light of reality shine forth, and when reality illumines the world, 
the happiness of humankind will become a verity. Man must spiritually perceive that religion has been intended by God to be the means of grace, the source of life and cause of agreement. If it becomes the cause of discord, enmity and hatred, it is better that man should be without it. For in its teachings we seek the spirit of charity and love to bind the hearts of men together. If, on the contrary, we find it alienates and embitters human hearts, we are justified in casting it aside. Therefore, when man, through sincere investigation, discovers the fundamental reality of religion, his former prejudice disappear, and his new condition of enlightenment is conducive to the development of the world of humanity. The purport of our subject is that just as man is in need of outward education, he is likewise in need of ideal refinement. Just as the outer sense of sight is necessary to him, he should also possess insight and conscious perception. As he needs hearing, at the same time memory is essential. As a body is indispensable to him, likewise the mind is requisite. One is a material virtue, the other is ideal. As human creatures, fitted and qualified with this dual endowment, we must endeavor, through the assistance and grace of God, and by the exercise of our ideal power of intellect, to attain all lofty virtues, that we may witness the effulgence of the Son of Reality, reflect the spirit of the kingdom, behold the manifest evidences of the reality of divinity, comprehend irrefutable proofs of the immortality of the soul, live in conscious at one moment with the eternal world, and become quickened and awake with the life and love of God. Now to our roundtable discussion. Hi, my name is Afshin. Uh, I'm a musician and a composer. My name's Ari, and I've got a background in theater performance and film studies, as well as a background in IT, information technology. Hi, I'm May, and I studied psychology. Well, I find it very interesting at the very beginning of his talk how he acknowledges the purpose for everybody meeting. It's not for social, political, scientific, commercial, but they're there to promulgate the you know, divine bestowals of God and to talk about the inner spirit of man. Yeah, and I noticed that he gives some uh, examples of the physical and the spiritual virtues, such as sight being physical, hearing, you know, uh, and the, the spiritual ones are things like insight and memory and emotions that help us to prove the existence of God. It's very easy for us to um, prove physical things and physical concepts, and that's what most of our meetings uh, are about. It's something that uh, is physically or visually manifested. And um, because those are, th those are things that are easy for people to see, agree it exists, and talk about the different um, features of politics, the different features of um, scientific experiments and, um, you know, commercialization. They, these are all very easy for people to wrap their heads around because they have a physical representation. But when you look at the, the inner ideals when it comes to character, morality, spirituality, um, these are very, very broad concepts because there's not a, a physical agreement as to what these are. 
you know, spirituality between Christians, Jews, Muslims, Baha'is, they're all very, very different because we're so used to analyzing something with the senses of sight, sound, touch, feel, et cetera, et cetera. And so many people are focused on empirical results. They always want to see numbers and figures, and it's difficult to prove to someone scientifically that, yes, your soul will continue on after your material body you know, has died. True. It's very interesting for him to say that it's time now for us to look inward, to start really asking the questions about God, about spirituality. And now is the time to really create a discourse to be able to focus on these topics. How do you think we can provide a discourse on these topics? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I find that it can be difficult to get people to talk about their beliefs. You know, it's it's very easy to talk about something that's out there, that's you know, out there in the world or something that's that's happening out there in the world. But when you ask somebody to turn inward and to focus on, you know, what their thoughts are, what their true beliefs are about various subjects, there's a lot there's a lot of hesitation. It's like a scary a scary situation to be in where you're actually talking about your inner beliefs and what you feel is your inner truth. People are very worried that others are going to judge that or, you know, it's going to be a source of conflict. And so people protect that really, really closely. So when it comes to how do we start talking about these things, um, I think that having trust in one another and faith in one another and really having um, an open heart, that will lead to a closer friendship and the ability to talk about these things more openly and more truthfully. There's one part where he also talks about developing our uh, intellectual capacities so that we can uh, prove, he says, we must be able to prove divinity from the standpoint of reason so that no doubt or objection may remain for the rationalist. So it seems like there, there are, uh, you know, you have these qualities, these uh, of emotion, uh, love and things like that, but there's also the logical side where uh, we just have to explain intellectually the proof of the existence of God. Um, and and these, uh, these are some of the aspects of our human beings that we just have to try to develop. I think, uh, I think he, he you know, clearly details what we need to do. I don't think we know what that looks like yet, mm -hmm. but he makes a very clear to-do list um, in this section where he says, before a step is taken in this direction, we must be able to prove divinity from the standpoint of reason so that no doubt or objection may remain for the rationalist. Afterward, we must be able to prove the existence of the bounty of God. That divine bounty encompasses humanity and that it is transcendental. Furthermore, we must demonstrate that the spirit of man is immortal that it is not subject to disintegration and that it comprises the virtues of humanity. All three of those sections need to be investigated, detailed, and um, talked about as a whole because if you don't investigate all three of those aspects, then somebody who is trying to rationally prove or disprove divinity or the belief in God can use those different sections like against each other. If, if you don't demonstrate that the spirit of man is immortal, then there's no point in talking about the afterlife or God or morality because, you know, as soon as we die, poof, we're gone. 
So it, this sort of to-do list, it's a package deal that really needs to be investigated and understood by people who are seeking to answer these questions. I think definitely we need to take more time to discuss these sorts of questions with our peers today because still, even um, even though he posed these questions 100 years ago, these questions are still really hard to answer today. You know, this, this part where he's talking about uh, material virtues that have attained great development, uh, but ideal virtues have been left far behind. This next section, I kind of pictured a man on the street quiz. You know, if you were to get a, a microphone, go out on the street and start asking people on the street these questions, like you start out with, you know, what are the proofs of the reality of divinity? I think you get a lot of blank stares back and maybe a couple of people trying to struggle with coming up with an answer. But then all of these other questions are things that society has constantly like rolled around the idea of how do we answer these, but nobody has really addressed the issue in a holistic manner. So when you're talking about, you know, what are the proofs you have, uh, what proofs have you regarding the essence of God? How do you explain the inspiration and revelation? What are the evidences of conscious intelligence beyond the material universe? All of these questions, they're, they're very out there, you know, but they're things that every human being is constantly asking themselves, you know, because it has to do with the basic foundations of our existence. Who are we? What are we about? What's out there? Why are we here? What's our purpose? And I just picture being on the street asking people these questions and seeing a lot of, you know, slack-jawed blank stares. Mm -hmm. Not because nobody's ever thought about these things. It's because I don't think anybody's felt comfortable sharing their ideas on what they actually believe. You know, I think it depends a lot about on the setting. Like if we were in class, if these questions were posed, or if we were in a casual setting, I think they would take some time to actually honestly think about them, and we would probably be able to have a good discussion about them. I'm a fan of this part that's talking about religion has to be a, a source of life and a cause of agreement. If it becomes the cause of discord, enmity, and hatred, oh, yeah. it is better that man should be without it. You know, I just think that's that's a really healing statement for a lot of people you know uh yeah some people follow their friends or fathers or others or whoever and become a certain religion um but others just don't want to have anything to do with religion because it's they see it as this cause of war i love and, this unity and this unity yeah. so this this, this statement is powerful it's just like yeah it's better to be without religion if it's if it's the cause of unity uh disunity right yeah, religion kind of acts as a moral and social operating system for the day and time we live in. And I don't know, I have, I have this weird analogy to the Windows operating system where, you know, previous religions are like Windows 3, then Windows 3.11, and then, you know, going up like Christianity, Windows XP, fairly stable platform. Yeah, exactly. You know, not too bad. And, um, you know, <laughs> the Baha'i faith would be like the most advanced religious teachings for today's day and age. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not discounting previous religions. You have to appreciate the existence of the previous religions and the benefit that they've brought to humanity because it's allowed us to, to develop to this point. Mm -hmm. And you can't really be upset with people who are still running older operating systems because they worked for a time. 
you know. But we're just realizing that in order to promote world unity as a whole, the previous operating systems just can't do it. They don't have the right programming. And, you know, well, they're riddled with viruses by this point. But anyways, you know, now we have a new new social structure, a new way that we should live our lives. And in order to understand the Baha'i teachings and understand the Baha'i principles of spirituality and of focusing on magnifying our inner reality, that takes a lot of time, dedication, focus to really tap into it and to um, sort of train yourself to move through this world in an appropriate and just manner. It's not a difficult thing because today's society, we're constantly inundated with noise, with, with garbage that only holds us back. And we have to learn how to filter out that noise and stay focused on our personal, social, and spiritual development. That's it for our podcast this week. If you'd like more information about Abdu'l-Bahá's travels in the West, visit our site, www.thejourneywest.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Journey West. Thanks, everyone. Bye.